I have done my notes on this movie. Okay, I haven't, but I watched it. Uh, I didn't think it was very good. Really? It seems so dated. Oh, that's interesting. I okay, this should be a good discussion because I I thought it was it felt more like a modern movie to me. <laughs> <laughs> the opening music to Not Wanted, and it stars Sally Forrest, Leo Penn, and Keith Brussel. I'm not sure I said that right, but... I think that's right. Yeah. And it was... Uh, the screen screenplay was written by Ida Lupino, or at least it was co-written by her, and then she actually directed a good part of the movie, although that was uncredited because the director, Elmer Clifton, uh, had a heart attack and uh, unfortunately, Sus, died soon after the release of this movie. I don't know who this was released by. It was released by, like, Classic... Oh, I have that, I have that for our background. It was Film Classics Incorporated and the production company was Emerald Productions. I'm not familiar with either of those and I didn't have a chance to look them up. Yeah, the, it seems like a real small independent uh, release to me, and, and that would be consistent with the other Ida Lupino movies that we've watched so far. And each of the actors, the lead, the three lead actors, I think, were just beginning their careers. Yeah, that was interesting. We can talk a little bit about uh, some of those people as we go along. Uh, but, again, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the Internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net or in iTunes and Facebook, just search for Classic Movie Reviews. And uh, thank you to those of you that have left comments uh, in the last couple weeks. We really appreciate that. So I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from Seattle, where we had a huge storm last night. Uh, 300,000 people lost power, uh, but uh, I, I was one of the lucky ones that didn't. And I'm Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, and I was reading about that storm. It, uh, some people lost their lives in that. It said in the uh, Seattle PI uh, webpage. We've already covered some of the background on the film. It was released in July of 1949 by Film Classics Incorporated, which I am not familiar with. A little bit of background because we've covered it on the uh, director, Sally Forrest, the lead uh, 
uh, actress in the film. This was really her first major role. She'd been in some other films, but more as a like a dancer or in the background. She went on to have a pretty good career in film and television. And then she and her husband moved to New York City, where he worked for, I believe, CBS. And she became well-known on Hollywood. I mean, I'm sorry, on Broadway. So she did a number of Broadway shows, including Damn Yankees and some others. And then they moved back to Los Angeles, and she continued her uh, television work. She died here just earlier this year at the age of 86. And uh, Leo Penn uh, had three sons, one of whom is Sean Penn, who's had quite an exciting and uh, strong career. And then Keith Brazell, this is the most fascinating of the three. Apparently, it's rumored that he had connections to the underworld. And uh, later in his career, in the, late in the middle 50s, he had some kind of an arrangement with one of the executives at CBS where this executive would okay scripts or okay shows even without seeing the scripts. And the rumor was that the uh, executive, whose name I don't remember, was uh, threatened by the, the mob if he didn't accept these shows. And so he and Keith Brazell were uh, in a lawsuit for a number of years uh, over that whole thing. And Brazell's career kind of went downhill after he did the Aunt Eddie Cantor uh, movie a couple years after this movie. That's a fascinating background. Yeah, that's... that's uh... When you said the underworld, I thought maybe he knew vampires or uh, something like from the movie The Underworld <laughs> with Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> uh, well, it's kind of like that, only this is for real, I guess, from what <laughs> yeah. I read. And he died a very unhappy man after writing two very uh, derogatory books about uh, the whole entertainment industry, one called Barracudas and the other Cannibals. I haven't read them, but you can kind of get an idea what that was like, I guess. Provocative titles for a book. <laughs> they are. Well, so this movie is available on YouTube, and it, you know the quality of it was, was okay. Um, I'm assuming that it fell out of copyright. I'm not 100% sure of that. Uh, but it, it deals with a young woman who, I guess she's probably 18 or 19 in the movie. Uh, her name is... Sally Kelton, play, played by Sally Forrest, which is interesting. But uh, she meets a she. She kind of was going to school uh, and doing well, uh, but then had to drop out because they needed money at home. So she goes to work at this kind of this restaurant that also has a, a piano lounge, and he she meets up with this uh, young kind of intense piano player and they hook up and and she falls in love with him but he's sort of just thinking this is like a short-term thing uh, and he moves on to capital city i'm not sure that's a real place it was i'm thinking maybe it was like supposed to be sacramento or i'm not sure but he moves away to to pursue his piano career leaving her behind uh but she Pulls up stakes. They said that several times in the movie. You pulled up stakes. That must have been a saying at the time. Uh, yeah, I think it was because I, it resonated with me. I've heard that. Yeah, in the late 40s. Uh, to follow the piano player who's played by Leo Penn, and his character's name is Steve Ryan. And 
we find out pretty quickly that he's not all that excited about seeing her and tries to brush her off, but she's sort of adamant about wanting to be with him. Sally. Hello, Steve. I'll bet you're surprised to see me. Yeah? What gets? Oh, Steve, isn't it wonderful? Here we are. Oh, aren't you glad to see me? Sure, I'm glad to see you. Well, isn't this kind of crazy? What do you mean, Steve? What's it all about? What? I left home. I couldn't stand things the way they were anymore. Wait a minute. You mean you just pulled up stakes for good? Yes. What are you going to do? Oh, I'll get a job. I, I got a room this morning. It's only a few blocks from here, so we'll, we'll be able to see each other all the time now. You, you don't seem very glad to see me. It isn't that, Sally. I just think it was a wacky thing for you to do. Leaving your folks traipsing way up here. I'm busy. I've got a million things to do. I won't have any time to spend with you. Gee, Steve, I, I'm sorry to bother you. I just wanted to be with you. You said if I ever came this way to look you up. Sally, Sally, don't get me wrong. I think the world of you, you know that, but... Well, I didn't expect you. I made other plans. I'm up to my ears in a deal I'm working on. I just don't have any free time, that's all. When she showed up at his apartment in Capital City, I really wanted to know what was going on in his mind because he was so surprised by that. It was just, it was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, I think Go in, on. The, in his head, he's like... Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> this has happened to me so many times. I keep yeah. moving on. <laughs> I tell you. Well, and what what we find out kind of subsequent to this is that she's pregnant with his child. Uh, and we don't really... And she doesn't know that when she moves to Capital City. And, and she finds out later, after she's met another man who is played by Keith Brazell. And his character's name is Drew Baxter. And, okay, so on the one hand, you've got Steve Ryan, who's this sort of, uh, I thought he was kind of like a early beat, you know, beat generation kind of guy. <laughs> you know? Yes, I, he was a forerunner, yes. I thought he was probably going to, you know, move to San Francisco and, you know, hang out and drink coffee and write poetry. So... On the one hand, we have Steve Ryan, and on the other hand, we've got Drew Baxter, who's uh, running a gas station, and I think he owns it. And they, uh, Sally and, and Drew kind of have a little connection, and Drew gives Sally a job. And but 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 Sally can't get her mind off of Steve, and she just daydreams about Steve and thinks about how amazing he is and the amazing piano playing that he does and. There's like these flashbacks of, of her daydreaming while she's on the job. And, and Drew is sort of like trying to keep her in the moment and trying to, you know, keep her upbeat and happy. Honey, am I tired? 
Brother, this is one day I'll really be glad to see over. Here, double day, good for you. Now, what I want to talk to you about was last Saturday night you gave me the brush. This Saturday night you're not going to get away with it. Wake up and go on and eat. You're getting too thin. Well, how about me going crazy tonight and spending three bucks on you for dinner? Okay. Swell, but don't wear the family jewels. This is strictly delicatessen night. Now go on and eat. Um. So, uh, what I liked what I, so what I liked about this movie, a couple things, is that it has a real feeling of like place to me. Like I, I just felt like there's so much of like the the gas station and like this piano lounge and then uh, the apartment where Steve lives and and you know they kind of go to an amusement park and they kind of show some scenes around town and I felt like it's like this little tour of, of Los Angeles in 1949, you know, it was, it was kind of cool the way that you could get a glimpse of, of life at that time. I know. And, uh, when the film opens and she's walking up that hill toward the camera and you can see the buildings in the background, that was so familiar to me. It could be, it could have been Seattle, could have been Chicago in the loop, could have been, and it was Los Angeles, of course. But those buildings looked very similar from place to place. And then late in the movie, when they're having their chase, when Drew Baxter and Sally Kilton are having their chase, she gets at the edge of the overpass, and there's the old trolley. Yeah. The old the, the early day light rail That's in right. Los Angeles, which was... I've talked to people here who've lived here all their life. They said that used to be the best way to get around town because it ran all over. And they ripped up all those uh, tracks, right, so that they could... Yeah, now those. they're putting it back in. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the movie opens up with uh, Sally Kelton uh, wandering the streets, and then she sees this uh, baby in a baby carriage, and she gets this weird look on her face, and she picks the baby up and starts walking away, and the mother comes out of the store and wonders where the baby is and then sees that Sally has the baby and she freaks out and then Sally ends up getting arrested. But my first reaction was, why the heck did the mom leave the baby in the baby carriage outside of the store? (laughs) Yeah, I thought the same thing. I mean, goodness sakes, uh, right on that uh, street that looked like it had a lot of traffic. Yeah, and then we cut to a scene of Sally sitting in this jail cell. And how about that woman that was, like, uh, cracking her knuckles and, like, yeah, like nice. limber, limbering up in the jail cell like she was going to beat somebody up? She was uh, intimidating. She was a forerunner to the uh, present-day uh, uh, fighters where they use their hands and feet. I forget the name of that. <laughs> MMA. <laughs> MMA, right. Yeah, <laughs> she martial was arts. something else. But, uh, and, then, and then in the jail cell, Sally's t- uh, saying to herself, how did I end up here? How did I end up here? And then we do this flashback to how she ended up there and you know to kind of cut forward a little bit uh steve rejects her see straight anymore so i'm taking off maybe this time i'll hit the jackpot steve you can't mean that you're not gonna go you're not leaving look sally that's the way it is maybe it's a sickness with me i don't know I've got to keep going till I find some place where I belong. Then take me with you. I'll take care of you. We can be married. I'll help you find where you belong. Oh, 
please, Steve. It means everything to me. You won't be sorry. You couldn't stop caring just like that. Look, Sally. You're a good kid. Someday you'll settle down with five kids and a husband with a pipe, but I'm not that guy. I've got to keep moving. Travel light, don't you see? Maybe I'll live miserably ever after, but that's the way it is with me. You never cared anything about me, did you? And all the time I thought it was the most wonderful thing I'd ever known. The way I felt about you. I thought you felt that way too. And all the time you didn't care. Not even a little bit. I must have seen awfully silly and chipped you. Shut up. Well, that's the way I feel. So you Shut up! Now you listen to me. All my life I've stuck to one principle, never get involved. And you know why? Because I'm tired, Sally. I'm tired of rooms like this. I'm tired of cheap, out-of-tuned pianos. I'm tired of joints. If I'm ever going to get where I'm going, I have to do it alone. You're forgetting something, Sally. We were two people who knew what we were doing, remember? I never gave you any phony ideas about getting married and growing old together. That's something you got into your head. If I've hurt you, Sally, I'm sorry, but I've never lied to you. Now get that straight. And it's pretty, pretty brutal the way that he does that. Drew is, is actually really wanting to have a relationship with Sally, but Sally is so riddled with guilt about being pregnant out of wedlock that she just can't, she just can't face him. It, it was uh, hard for me to to watch some of that because she was completely isolated and alone. She'd lost touch with her mother and dad. And the uh, the uh, Sean Penn character, Steve Ryan, had headed off for South America. And she just couldn't bring herself to get close to Drew Baxter. And she Drew, had to be the loneliest person in that city. Yeah, and Drew, to his credit, really uh, kept after her and tried to, you know... I love that they went on that date, and then he took her to his uh, little warehouse where he had all those trains set up, and he was running those electric trains. And I yes. thought of you because <laughs> I could totally see you doing that. I know. He had more trains than I did, I think. Yeah. But he was like a little kid in a candy store showing her the trains, and you know she's off in La La Land thinking about Steve instead of like enjoying this, this nice evening. He definitely uh, was in love with her, and she was in love with the guy that had gone to South America. It was kind of a mini tragedy going on. Uh, just to reinforce what you said, I <clears throat> I like the locations and the black and white photography again. It it catches the mood of the film, and the music was pretty good too. I thought it, w- it reminded me of kind of the driving beats that we were listening to in last week's movie uh, in some scenes, uh, like in the chase scene. There was some. Um, so, it, I mean, it wasn't as good as, uh, last week's, but I think it may have been written by the same person, uh, as our last movie, as our last movie. <coughs> no, not the last movie, the movie, two movies ago. It wasn't Bernard Herman, but 
It was Leith Stevens, and I think he did the Hitchhiker movie. Ah, okay. Music. So, uh, so Sally Kelton has no place to live. Really, she's she's kind of distancing herself from Drew, and she collapses in front of this church and uh, this this priest or I think I probably a priest uh, bless his heart you know is there to, to kind of help her and, and takes her to this home for women that are you know out of wedlock and, and pregnant and you were saying before we started the call that there was a place like that in Helena in Montana yes as a as a kid uh, junior high and high school every once in a while one of the uh girls in the class would be gone to visit relatives or so that was the story and oftentimes that meant that they were in Helena at this home for unwed mothers that was run I think by the uh, I'm not sure of this but I believe it was run by the Catholic Church and it, it, this this home that she goes to must have been very similar I, I couldn't get over or past the fact that the woman that was the I guess the social worker with her was very stern and formal. The, the the older woman that was making notes and oh really? And I didn't interviewing her. I, didn't I, I just that. I didn't get that feeling from her. I just felt like she was a little bit uh, difficult, formal, and rigid. And I would have liked to have seen her, you know, a little more relaxed. Miss Sally Kelton, aren't you? Here. Sit down, dear. How old are you, Sally? Nineteen. Where do you live? Well, I've been living in a rooming house, but I checked out of there. Have you any family? Are your parents living? Yes. But I don't want them to know about this. Well, let me ask you something, dear. Don't you think perhaps you should tell them? If they knew about this, they might want to help you. Oh, please, Mrs. Stone. I couldn't bear it if they found out. I couldn't expect them to understand. Not this. Do you wish to tell me the name of the father and his whereabouts? Perhaps we could communicate with him. I don't know where he is. He went away. I haven't heard from him since. I see. Well, tell me, my dear, have you decided whether you want to keep your baby after it's born? I don't know. Well, we'll discuss that question later. You'll have every opportunity to decide for yourself. And in the meantime, this will be your home. For the time being, you will be asked to help with the duties around the home, and you will be expected to abide with the regulations of the institution. Thank you, Mrs. Stone. And remember, we're your friends, not your judges. You won't let my family know I'm here, will you? No, dear, if that is your wish. I, I actually didn't get that impression from her. I thought she was she was sympathetic to uh, Sally's plight, and but at the same time, kind of 
maybe a little bit numb to it also because she's seen so many similar situations. And I think she said something along those lines in the movie. Um, but yeah, I could, I mean, she was kind of formal, but I think she was at the same time trying to help Sally. Like she, she did care about her. I was thinking as I watched the movie, which was made in 1948 or early 1949, how difficult it must have been for the screenwriters, producers, and director, and the actors to do this in a way that they could get it past the production code that was in effect then and had all kinds of limitations on what you could deal with in the movie. And for its time in that era, it rings true to me. It tells a story that I think at that time was very believable, and the audience would have gotten engaged in it. I don't know how big an audience the film got. But as I watched it in the context of today, which I know I shouldn't do, it seems a bit aged. And uh, as as we said before the broadcast, it didn't hold up as well for me because I think I was bringing too much of my modern, current thoughts into it. Well, this is this is where I think it's going to get interesting because I totally disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so having having a daughter who's that age and and seeing the things that she has to deal with. It's not like, like Sally had to deal with her parents who were very sort of like rule driven and, and very kind of like steeped in the past in terms of what was okay and what wasn't okay. And, and very, uh, you know, narrow in their thinking. And Sally, I mean, she wasn't a bad kid. Like she just wanted to go listen to music and she wanted to go have fun and hang out with her friends. And, you know, and she just happened to fall in love with this guy who, you know, wasn't a really good guy. I mean, and because of the way that her relationship with her parents were, she couldn't face them uh, once that she once she found out that she was pregnant. And, you know, she, she kind of pulled up stakes, as they said, and, and went off to Capital City to try to to be with Steve because she really thought that Steve loved her, but you know, Steve had to go off and pursue his career. And that's not really what was going on at all with Steve. He just didn't care about Sally. And then it, I, then it, this is where it got interesting to me because then it's all the social norms of 1948, 1949 that came into play about how it was so terrible to be pregnant out of wedlock. And you know, it, it took somebody like the priest and the social worker to try to, you know, give her some help. But she couldn't even face this guy that obviously loved her. And, and she had feelings for him, but she was just so embarrassed by what had happened and so shamed and, and guilty. That, you know, at the end, Drew gets past all of that and accepts her just the way she is. And we should mention that Drew was uh, was injured in World War II by a mortar and lost uh, part of his leg, like the lower part of his leg. And so he's kind of this wounded person as well. And that scene where they're running at the end and, and he's chasing her and she's running at full speed and he can't keep up because, you know, he's got a, a fake leg that in 1948 the technology wasn't great. It's not like he could get around all that well but she and they really ran a course they were upstairs up up these stairs and across the tracks and yeah and then and then we get to that scene where she almost jumps off the bridge and onto the trolley tracks right i think she was really yes. thinking about killing herself at that point and then at the very end 
Steve collapses and is just in tears because, I'm sorry, Drew, at the, at the very end, Drew collapses and is just in tears because he loves her so much, but she won't stop and let him rescue her. And then she finally, finally realizes, looking back at him, that he loves me no matter what. He knows that I'm pregnant. He's chased me all over town, and he's just at his wit's end, and he's collapsed. And then she goes back to, to lift him up yeah. and, and basically kind of rescue him. And I just thought that was such a great scene. That was such a, a really, really sweet scene between the two of them at the end, where they both just accept each other for who they are. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think what hampered me in seeing it the same way you do, well, a number of things with with your daughters, uh, that's a whole dimension that that I I am not, you know, I, I just haven't lived that. And then I think I brought today's thinking and, and how I view that back into the view of this movie. And as you go through it, I, I can understand you know, what you're seeing there. I just but I, but I, this is the thing that I that I don't agree with. Like, I don't think it's changed that much. Like like the social pressure that kids get today on social media, like on Facebook and Twitter and Insta, you know, and oh, okay. all the things that, that that they get pressured into feeling like they have to do or they have to fit into a certain mold, and especially girls. I mean, it's like uh, just tune into any you know newsfeed about things that women say that they get skewered for and a man could say the same thing and and it's no big deal or you know women get uh all this grief for the way they dress but you know men nobody ever says anything about men and how they dress and i i'm just i guess i'm just really super aware of of like the pressures that girls feel and the social mores that they feel like they have to live under and I, I think it's exactly exactly the same as in this movie. And I thought the movie did a good job of making you feel isolated and kind of understanding how how lonely that can be and, and why somebody would start to think that they're worthless and that the only option that they have is to kill themselves. And, you know, even even with somebody like Drew there to try to pull them out of it and to try to rescue them, it's like such a huge burden to try to overcome those feelings and it's such a an uphill battle to to get yourself out of that depressed uh, place so i this movie really resonated with me i just <laughs> <laughs> i can see that well and i and i think you know the way you've explained it to me brings a whole different dimension to how i viewed it yeah and and, and in keeping with uh how much i enjoy ida lapino and her writing and directing and acting, it is a it is a uh, a forerunner of of it was way out in front for the time. And today, uh, if you if you brought it to the modern era and put modern themes on it and and the new actors, it probably would play really well. So I I, I get that. Yeah, like if you t if you brought this movie into the present day and then you had her being like shamed by people on the street that she doesn't even know and by, by people online that she doesn't even know and by people that she does know that are like telling her how she should behave and how she should dress and how she should act and I think it would be a really powerful movie just with a few changes to bring it to, into the modern day so when we started you were what did you give it a rating when before we started talking what were you thinking yes well I'm uh, 
uh, a little embarrassed to give you my initial rating before we talked today. <laughs> I, I gave it a, I gave it a six out of ten, which uh, was a reflection of how I thought it seemed dated, and it was a, it was timely for 1949. But I I didn't feel that kinship for it this uh, in this time frame. Uh, after you've talked me through that, I would move it up to like an eight out of ten. Yeah, I was going to say an eight out of ten. It's, it's a it's a really good movie, but I think you have to go into it with a kind of a certain expectation or a certain frame of mind. And if you take yourself out of uh, the specifics of what's happening in the film, but you kind of extrapolate to more of a generic view of how women are treated and how there's so much social pressure put on women. Uh, even today, to conform and to fit a certain expectation of how they should behave, then I, I think it's it, it it goes up in my mind in terms of how good of a movie it is. Well, it was certainly uh, the one that, for you and me, where we've talked about these, we usually have a pretty common thread going through it, but we started at a more divergent place. Yeah, it's fun when we when that happens. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Uh, what's up next on our uh, podcast agenda? Well, next week we're going to watch a movie where Ida Lupino is a star as an actress uh, with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, and George Raft. And George Raft, that's right. Uh, another mo- another guy that's rumored to have been connected to the underworld. <laughs> the, underworld. <laughs> the underworld. I love that. Uh, <laughs> so it's called They Drive by Night, and it's a suggestion from one of our listeners uh, we appreciate those those kinds of suggestions, and we love to watch movies that are interesting to the people that are listening to the show. So thank you. So that's uh, that's not wanted, and uh, this is Matt Johnson coming to you from Seattle, and Bob Johnson from Los Angeles wishing you great movie watching. Mm-hmm.